RCMP misses its deadline to release a plan to implement the recommendations from the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia. Police break up encampments in Edmonton, but one CTV journalist plays cop communications officer. Stunning amount of cannabis is destroyed by the industry every year, and loose bolts are found on Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Nora, and it is a snowy snow day in Quebec City. Here are your headlines. We start this morning in Nova Scotia, where the RCMP is not going to meet a deadline to implement recommendations from the Mass Casualty Commission. The commission was set up after the mass shooting in 2020 that killed 22 people. It examined policing failures. The deadline was set by the RCMP itself. I wonder if one of the recommendations was, don't miss deadlines you make for yourself. Hmm. In total, there were 130 recommendations. And as is classic in the world of politics these days, the first plan was to release a plan to implement the rest of the plan. They were supposed to release this implementation strategy, quote unquote, by the end of last year. Yesterday, they released a statement that said that they missed the deadline. But like a terrible student, they didn't commit to a new deadline. They just said that they'll do it ASAP. Trust us. The report was massive, 3,000 pages that detailed the RCMP's failures, from dealing with the root causes of gender-based violence to RCMP reform. The Canadian press's Michael McDonald reports that the report found that, quote, the federal government should rethink the RCMP's central role in Canadian policing, unquote. The RCMP didn't take a string of warning signs seriously related to the killer either. They ignored domestic violence reports, illegal firearms possession, and, quote, repeated run-ins with the law, unquote. The RCMP also dismissed people who had come forward at the time of the shooting to warn them that a killer was on the loose. At the bottom of the story, like is so often the case for stuff published in the CBC, even though this is a CP story running in the CBC, is the most important part. The RCMP has been down the reform path already to no success. In 2017, McDonald reports that the organization, quote unquote, largely ignored a 2017 study with related reforms. This only gets a quick mention, but it's the heart of the issue here. It's impossible for the RCMP to reform itself and not suck. Literally impossible. As the saying in Nova Scotia goes, a shit leopard can't change its spots. Next to Edmonton, CTV's Sean Amato does his best impersonation of a police communications officer in an article about the police raids on encampments. You will remember that cops have been planning to raid these camps for a while now. Injunctions pushed the raids off, and over the past couple of days, camps were dismantled across the city. If you want to see live coverage of the dismantling of the final camp, journalist Brandi Morin covered it all day on Twitter, and you can see her coverage at Songstress28 on Twitter. But back to Amato. His report focused on what the police said. Like a good first-year journalism student, Amato starts his article with color and feeling to set the stage for what we are about to read. Quote, a pellet and BB guns, 34 knives, 11 machetes. 
10 samurai swords, two axes, brass knuckles, and a collapsible baton. That was the message from Edmonton police about the dangers of encampments early Tuesday morning, unquote. And you know that police reading this article the next day going, yes, we got him. He did exactly what we wanted him to do. Now, I have been around long enough to know that when cops do this dog and pony show where they lay out weapons, they are absolutely trying to get journalists to publish it without criticism. And Amato does this willingly. The cops shared information about this quote-unquote stash at 7 a.m. local time yesterday. By 9, they were raiding the final camp that they planned to dismantle. The cops said that they shared this image to help us, quote, understand the depth and complexity of the situation, unquote. Nothing screams depth quite like two axes, and nothing screams sophistication like ten samurai swords, you know? I just want to point out how absolutely not weird it is for a place where people live to have knives. I have more than 34 knives in my own kitchen, and there's only four of us that live here. Amato adds that later that day, police upped the danger amount by saying they were worried about fires, propane tank explosions, needles, and drugs. But you know what? That's not all. We also find out that it was even more dangerous that the police provided notice. They should have, I guess, if you just, you know, go by the logic, arrived and raided the camps without giving any notice, but they were trying to be nice. And you know how they were welcomed by the people in the encampments? Well, Here's a quote from Amato. We've seen booby traps in some of the encampments. Unquote. The police said that that made things even more dangerous. And, oh, oh, actually, and there's more. Amato writes the police said there's, quote, also a gang element to the situation with low-level gangsters living in the encampments. Unquote. Wait, what? The thing about gangs is that members of gangs are in gangs because the gangs give them things that they need, material things that they need. That notably includes things like money. I'm not sure I've ever heard of homeless gangsters. Like, (laughs) we're supposed to believe this? Like, this is a laundry list that the police sat down and wrote and said, what is going to make readers feel like this is such a dangerous situation that we have to raid these camps? They wrote everything down and Amato managed to hit every single one in the introduction of this article. He quotes Deputy Chief Warren Dreischel saying, quote, they're not overly sophisticated organizations, these gangsters, but what they make up for is the level of violence that they use. Not only do they victimize people within encampments, the crime that's incurring on the streets, the drug dealing, they turn on each other quite quickly. They are extremely ruthless, unquote. Anyway, you have to get through all of that propaganda nonsense before you actually get to the news about the raid. And the biggest piece of news has been caught on camera that you can find if you are curious to see how violent and disgusting this was. The violence and disgusting behavior that is seen on camera was not coming from residents of the camp. It was coming from the cops. The cops tasered an indigenous man and did so very violently. They didn't give any information to CTV, but CTV dutifully quote unquote reached out to the cops asking about who that person was and they didn't actually say who they were. So we're supposed to assume that I guess the cops haven't gotten their talking points to Amato yet. But the arrest is a reminder that the number of indigenous people in these camps is key to this story and it's not actually reported in this story at all indigenous people have rights to the land and they have rights to live wherever they want to live especially if canada is actively disenfranchising them and removing material supports for people to actually live in housing that is a key element to this story and yet 
we have none of that from CTV News Edmonton. They do talk to a local resident who lives nearby the encampments, and she's quoted to say that the camp residents are neighbors and they're not violent. Amato does this funny thing then, where he writes that the neighbor, quote, acknowledged the photos of the weapons shared by police, unquote. Like, buddy, what is the point of this? Why are you putting police propaganda in the face of someone who lives next door to the camps and says that they're not violent? Are you at least getting paid by police to do this? <laughs> My God. The neighbor replies to say that she's not afraid and that no one at the camp is violent. Anyway, somehow this story says nothing at all about what is driving people to live in these camps. Aside from the angle of colonialism, there's also the angle of the affordability crisis. And these are the most important pieces of the story for which we get nothing. At the bottom of the piece, there are three other journalists' names listed as having contributed to this story. And here's a bit of professional advice for CTV News. Pull someone off the COP press conferences and have them look into income supports and do a deep dive on colonialism, housing affordability, food prices, and profiteering, instead of making readers think that someone had two axes in order to do gangster things inside of a park, and that is why the police had to violently raid it. Okay, I realized that that went long. I'm sorry. I think that that's really, really important for us to understand how propaganda plays out in mainstream media. And so here are the rest of the stories on mode rapido presto. I don't smoke pot, but I feel like if you do, this next story deserves a content warning. Matt Lammers, writing for MJ Biz Daily, is reporting that 1.3 million pounds of cannabis was destroyed in 2022 by licensed producers. That is up almost 44% from the year before. That amount of destroyed pot totaled 16% of all pot produced in 2022. Data for 2023 is only partially available and indicates that the industry might be closer in line to demand than where they were in 2022. In 2021, they destroyed 425 million grams of cannabis products, less than in 2022, but that amount made up more than a quarter of all pot produced in that year. Since Canada legalized pot, more than 3.7 million pounds of pot has been destroyed. I was going to look for a weight equivalent for you to help visualize how much pot this actually is, but Lammers actually has our back and does this for us. He calculates that this is about equivalent to 1,253 Honda Civics. <laughs> I mean, folks, oh my God. When the packaged materials are included, because those numbers are for unpackaged cannabis products, the total of destroyed materials surpasses 2 billion grams. Billion. Billion. I don't have a cold. That's a B. Lammers reports that analysts say that this is thanks to capitalism, that companies were valued at how much they said they would grow rather than how much they could sell. So license holders were incentivized to grow huge amounts of pot, regardless of whether or not they'd be able to sell it. The problem, though, is that that pot was mostly low quality, low potency, and nobody wanted to pay for it. Since 2022, 42 cannabis and cannabis-adjacent companies have filed for bankruptcy. And finally, to aviation news. After the door blew out on an Alaskan Airlines 737 MAX 9 plane, renewed attention has been paid to the structural problems with this aircraft. There are 171 MAX 9s that have been grounded by the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States. There are no 737 MAX 9s flying in Canada at all, though the also troubled 737 MAX 8 is a favoured plane of all Canadian carriers. The difference between the two planes is capacity. The 737 MAX 9 is a larger plane than the MAX 8. 
key to the part of the fuselage that fell off the plane were four bolts. The BBC is reporting that the FAA chair, Jennifer Homendy, said that it's not clear if the bolts were gone from the start of the flight or if they came off midair. When Alaska Airlines inspected their fleet as a result of the blown out door, they found, quote, some loose hardware, unquote. There had already been a directive from the National Transportation Safety Board due to pressurization warning lights on three previous flights. As a result, carriers were directed to not fly long haul over water so that they could descend quickly to an airport if there was another incident. What this article fails to mention is that the workers at Boeing have been blowing the whistle on these planes for years now. Involved in the production of the 737 Maxes were people who were paid extremely low wages and who are not as skilled as usually would be building planes, say many workers in the industry. When the Max 8s caused two separate crashes, there was tremendous scrutiny on the plane's production, and it's pretty clear that Boeing has been trying to cut costs and find ways to save money to build these new planes. I always think about civil aviation being the last bastion of international cooperation for the safety and security of average people. It's an industry that could be easily socialized considering how much money goes to it from government coffers. And there's lots of profit potential. And yet regulations, they still rule. Regulations are still what allow us to feel safe and to be safe when we step onto a plane. And we need to fight to keep it that way. All the passengers on board that Alaska Airlines plane where the door was blown out were safe, though a child had his shirt ripped off from the force of the depressurization. Remember, folks, always wear those seatbelts. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Nora. You are listening to this podcast at sandianora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you have a great day and I'll talk to you tomorrow.